welcome back to another episode of the University Podcast. Today we are sitting down with the founder, co-founder and CEO of Checkbox, Evan Wong. And he started Checkbox while at uni, no, not while at uni, straight after uni and sort of while at uni. And we're going to ask him a few questions about how he did that. So the first thing I wanted to ask Evan is what types of skills did you develop at uni yeah. that really helped you move into this role? Yeah, thanks Ankit, it's a pleasure to be here. So um, the kind of skills that I was focusing on during university was around leadership, um, teamwork, communication, actually just a lot of the soft skills yeah. that you often hear are really important, especially in today's world, but often you don't actually get that from university lectures. Mm. Um, but I really wanted to focus on these skills and actually found myself learning skills that I didn't even think I would be actively pursuing, like conflict resolution because when you work in a tight-knit group of people for an extended period of time, there's going to be arguments, disagreements. And before I knew it, I was, I was learning how to resolve those conflicts as a leader. Um, so yeah, those, those are kind of the skills I was looking at. And were you specifically seeking these skills, or did you find that you just threw yourself into things and they came to you? I, I would have liked to say that I was a bit more like planned in the way yeah. that I do things back then, but honestly, like most university students, I, w I had very little idea as to what I was doing or what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I had a very good attitude um, around just throwing myself, as you said, into things, into areas that made me feel potentially uncomfortable, but knew that I would learn something uh, from it. And so, you know, it's really important to keep an open mind as you go through these experiences and therefore pick up um, a lot of these skills, like I said, you know, all the soft skills that, you, that I mentioned already. Yeah, and where did you find that you found these found this at uni like on campus I find that especially when you're a first year and you walk in it's just like a whole new world and there's millions of well it looks like a million societies and you don't know where to start so where did you kind of look for these skills or where did you find them I guess yeah so it was definitely through co-curricular activities like yeah. it's 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 not the kind of skills you develop by you know reading textbooks or going to lectures you definitely need to get um, involved in co-curricular um, whether that's in uni or outside of uni um, and at the end of the day, I think it comes down to like your passion, which is also tied to culture. So those organizations will all have their own unique culture mm. um, and purpose. And so the way that you go and seek them is, I wouldn't say you would necessarily have to go to X, you know, society X for teamwork skills. Yeah. Every single society will have those fundamental opportunities. So base it upon the culture of the, 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 of the organization you're going for, as well as uh, what are you passionate about in terms of the purpose. And so for me, um, at, at university, I went to um, UNSW, University yeah. of New South Wales, and I was involved in quite a lot of things while I was there. I was part of the orientation um, program, so the volunteers for OWEEK, and I did that for three years and wow. led a team in one of the years as well. That is a big commitment. That's like yeah. a lot of months of training and then a whole week there, yeah. It is. For people yeah. who, don't, um, who, who, who aren't familiar with the Yellow Shirts program, yeah. it's actually quite intensive of a, of a commitment. Um, I also did um, uh, like uh, leadership positions, executive positions in the business society while I was there, um, which is really cool actually. I, I really encourage a lot of people um, in university to go for those executive positions in societies mm -hmm. because the kind of responsibility, the decision making and the teams that you lead, um, that kind of responsibility you don't get in the corporate world until at least five years um, into your job. But to think that you could get that experience as a, as a university student, um, is really really cool right and that's actually has really set me up for my job today where i kind of leapfrogged and skipped the whole corporate ladder yeah. um, and i have and i found myself in an executive position but because i've had those experiences in uni 
it kind of makes it a lot easier because I'm used to making kind of high-level decisions, managing teams, doing the HR, all that kind of stuff. Perfect. And when we talk about all these co-curricular activities, I think a question that everyone has is whenever we see someone that's doing all these activities and doing a degree and doing a business like you were, so Evan actually had a tutoring company <laughs> while at uni, which he started, um, which we'll talk about later, but how did you manage all of that, especially with the assessments and assignments and mm. just where did you fit that all in, I guess? Was I, I had a, I had a... I had a rep at uni for being really busy. That's not yeah. a good rep to have, to be honest. It really depends on the lifestyle that you want. You were a big um, knock. Have you heard of that? I, I have <laughs> heard of that term recently. I have. I, it was not a term back when I was yeah. at uni, but... It's a big I, name on campus. Big name on campus. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... um. Yeah, uh, it's... W when you do a few things at university, <laughs> yeah, you know... You, you, you become a B-knock. You become a B-knock. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, so I... Uh, okay, so, you know, the way that I do it is there's two things, right? The first thing is I have a very um, interesting time management like tactic that I use yeah. or, or framework that I use that I developed over time. So I, I've been using, um, I'm really old school, I've been using physical diaries since about year 10 in high school and I came up with this system over time. I, I use this very, very consistently every single day and even today, like even right now, um, for all these years. And that is in my diary, I actually split up each day into two columns. Okay, so I draw a line down my week on the left-hand side, I have all of my events and deadlines for like things like assignments or you know, whatever it may be, deadlines. Yeah. And then on the right-hand side, I actually have a daily to-do list. Mm -hmm. And those daily to-do lists are actually reverse engineered from future due dates. So mm -hmm. for example, if I had say a, I don't know, like an essay due in two weeks, then actually I would think to myself, well, how do I break down this essay so that I can make it on time? Yeah. And in terms of my schedule, juggling all these other things, how do I then distribute them across that, that right-hand column of the to-dos to so that actually this dynamic list eventually feeds into the, into the deadline yeah. across everything, all my commitments, right? So that's kind of a very tactical technique that I've used that works yeah. really, really well um, to have daily to-do lists. So you actually know exactly what you need to do every single day you wake up um, and when you're behind and when you're ahead. And the second thing is um, actually there's a there's a kind of concept that I, that I really um, action upon, uh, even today in, in, in kind of professional life, which is the idea that being balanced is good as when you're in kind of normal times, in like peace time. Yeah. But in war time, being balanced is not necessarily a good thing. Because if you think of, this is a very silly example, if you think about how uh, a human biologically moves forwards, like walks, if you're balanced, you're actually standing still. Yeah. It's when you go off balance that you actually move forward. And so when things get really intense, so let's say we move into university finals, yeah. what I actually do at that point is I hyper-focus on just academics, mm. right? So it's not that I'm evenly, and this might not work for everyone, this is what I did. So I ev like rather than working evenly spread out across um, studies and co-curricula and running a business, consistently throughout the year, what I would do is I would focus on the business when finals were a few weeks out, as an example, and I would readjust my uh, kind of priorities as, as those dates fall closer. Right, and I guess that kind of leads into the next question, which was when you had to do all these scheduling, did you focus on like your long-term goals? Like, oh, okay, I really want to start Checkbox or I really want to grow my tutoring company. Mm. Or were you focused more on, okay, finals are in two weeks or this assignment is in a week? How did you balance those long-term goals that you had and then the short-term goals that you 
either had or had to fulfill like yeah. assignments and exams. Totally. So it's um, very similar. Yeah. So it's a combination of both. So um, kind of in the, again, let's use the term peacetime. In yeah. peacetime, it would be long term. I would always be thinking about the long term. But say if my finals were tomorrow, yeah. then I wouldn't be thinking about running my business. <laughs> yeah. I'd be thinking about my finals are tomorrow. Yeah. So, um, so basically, that's when I switch into short term and I go hyper focus. I kind of you know ignore everything else in the same way that in, in my business today, there are so many priorities that if deadlines are here, I literally stop reading my email, I stop replying to you know, messages, and I stop taking meetings, and I just yeah. get the thing done, yeah. and then I'll open myself back up again. Right. Yeah. And did you find that... Uh, sorry, like, how did you manage that with sometimes things don't go our way, things happen in uni, we have mm. other commitments. Did you find that you were easily able to catch up or it was like, again, like a focused? <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough one because it's, um, it depends on ev each situation yeah. and it's, it's such a fluid skill. Yeah. So there's no silver bullet to it. Um, but I will say that, um, um, you know, there were times in university where I was... Uh, in, in certain points, like really, really, really struggling. Yeah. Um, there were points where, you know, finals were catching up to me um, with the business that I was running, the amount of um, uh, like progress that I've made in actually making sure that I can serve the customers was catching up to me as well. And I got to a point where I actually didn't feel like I could in any rational way meet the demands yeah. of everything. Um, and it was really crazy. Like I, I there was a point um, I was having dinner with my family It's uh, and and actually, um, for some reason, I just broke yeah. down in tears. For no I wasn't even thinking about anything. I just break, broke down. Um, and then in retrospect, I was like, why did I even break down? Like, <laughs> I wasn't even... And then I realized that I was actually under a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's something that's, I think, really important to, to share because people al always see the, the good news and the, and, the, and the kind of happy faces of entrepreneurs, but actually behind the scenes, it's a lot of tough work yeah. um, and a lot of down, downturns as well to yeah. the journey. But um, that's part of it, right? It makes you stronger. And yeah. I see it on your LinkedIn as well that you guys are all up at like 4 a.m. doing things. <laughs> That's on the LinkedIn? Okay. Oh, maybe, <laughs> yeah. or maybe not LinkedIn, maybe Facebook, I don't okay. remember. We, yeah, <laughs> we, we, do, we do work really hard. Yeah. Um, uh, we work currently, uh, we work pretty consistently about 16 hours a day. Yeah. Um, I'm not talking about the whole company because you can never expect uh, you know, your employees to have the same passion and commitment as you do. That's totally fine. But as founders and as core staff, we do work you know, pretty consistently 16 hours a day. So it's pretty intense. Yeah. Um. And I think that's a good thing to mention because sometimes when we look at this from the outside and we see the logo and we see how amazing it is, it, you kind of miss all the work that's gone into it and the pressure mm. and the stress over many years. You know, it started yeah. kind of when you were in like uni. Yeah. You know, and now you're out of uni. So yeah. Interesting. I guess the next thing that I want to talk about is the risks associated with starting up Checkbox. So one of the main things is instead of taking up a grad role straight after finishing uni, yes. you went straight into pursuing Checkbox. How <laughs> how did you like get that confidence to just jump into it straight away without, you know, considering because a grad role I feel like is so typical mm. the traditional, more secure way of, you know, pursuing a career. Um, and a lot of people I know kind of take up the grad role and then focus on their own business down the line when they've set themselves up corporate in the corporate world. How did you find the confidence, I guess, to just jump straight into this? Mm. I wouldn't use the word confidence. It was more naivety, which, which <laughs> I love, by the way. It's crazy looking back and even along the journey yeah. um, that by not knowing how crazy this is and by not knowing how much hard work is ahead of you, you actually have this 
false confidence. And I was in San Francisco earlier this year, um, and I met a whole bunch of big Silicon Valley companies. And when I was at, um, I think it was Twitter, yeah. um, the, the team that actually said that one of their core um, principles there is this concept of garage band confidence, which is you're playing in your in your in your garage and you think you're the best, <laughs> and you know, um, and then when you make it on stage, you're like, oh my god! You look back at the garage and like. That was, we were terrible. <laughs> How did we get here? Um, and this is like a constant feeling for us as well, especially as founders. It's like, yeah. we look back again, like, how did we think we could do this back then? We were terrible. <laughs> and I'm sure I'll say it again in a year's time <laughs> about now. But um, it, it's really that. So it's, um, it, was, it was kind of just this almost like naivety of what's about to come. Um, but just again, being open-minded, it's an attitude and a mindset more than it is about skills and experience. I can't stress that enough as a young person doing this. Um, it's not necessarily about experience. Um, it's about it's actually about the attitude and the mindset. So in terms of uh, the risk aspect, because that all of that doesn't really doesn't really address the risk aspect of it, is um, well, I I I took a pretty sensible way of jumping into a startup. So when I finished up university, I had grad offers, and what I actually said uh, to myself was, well, I have the rest of my life to work yeah. and make money and build a career why am I so rushed to do it straight away out of university? So I was looking to take a gap year in between. So I went to uh, my potential employer and I said, hey, can I have a whole year off? And they said, no, you can't have a whole year off. Uh, we'll give you half a year and said, fine. And then in the half a year, I said, well, I really want to do entrepreneurship because I've done it in, in, in uh, university already. Yeah. So I now have a time, like a ticking time bomb of six months. What can I, where can I um, get a business up to so that I can like not have to go back to that grad role. Yeah. And I set myself kind of like a, like, a, like a bar and a fixed time frame. And in those six months, I like worked my butt off. I joined a program called the Founder Institute that helped me kind of um, uh, learn how to be an entrepreneur. And I got to the stage where I had someone who wanted to invest in the business. That person is now one of the co-founders in the business. And at that point, I thought to myself, well, um, I'm young. If I screw up, I still have the rest of my life to, you know, build wealth, you know, recalibrate my career. Yeah. Um, and also, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity where, you know, in a year's time or two years time after I do a bit of corporate, I might not have the same, you know, opportunity so of of you, of, yeah. an, of someone wanting to invest. Yeah. So it was actually a really like everything just lined up, and I thought to myself, well, this is actually the best time to take the risk at this point in my life with those opportunities in my hand because I built it up over six months. This is the best time to execute. And I took a lot of advice from friends and family and people in corporate and startup as well. My mm -hmm. parents were supportive, but they were still, yeah. on, the, still <laughs> on the side of, you should go to corporate. Yeah. They were like, you should go to corporate. Um, you have no experience. <laughs> um, but as my parents now well know, I often will back myself. And once they see that I've made the commitment, they will also back my decision, which is really nice. Um, and yeah, and I've never really made the wrong decision by, 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 by um, going with my gut feeling, basically. Yeah. 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 And did you take any, like when you jumped in straight into Checkbox, did you take any, I guess, mitigation steps at all or just sort of thought, I guess the six month thing kind the of. The six month thing, yeah. yeah, the six month thing definitely um, was how I mitigated it. I wouldn't necessarily recommend anyone to suddenly drop their job or grad role and just dive into startup yeah. um, with like blindly just feeling yeah. like I want to be an entrepreneur because you know most of us do fail um, so you do want to have a bit bit of a period where you're doing it as a side hustle that's often the most mm. practical way to actually get into something to have at least you know your core 
um, whether that's studies or like me, I was very lucky I had a gap year um, or half a gap year um, or your full-time job. Yeah. And then once you build enough traction and you've validated it for yourself, that you then make that leap. Right, and I think what I've seen is when you truly have the passion to do something, whether you're, you know, even if you're working the nine to five, um, Monday to Friday, you find the time somehow. I've seen people yeah. wake up really early or stay back late or, you know, dedicate their weekends to it. Um, so do you think that drove you? Oh, 100%. Oh, 100%. Yeah. You can't do this if you're not passionate about it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's one of those things where being an entrepreneur over the past few years has become quite a sexy thing. Yeah. So a lot of people pursue it because yeah. it's the hype. Um, but they don't understand the kind of amount of hard work that's actually behind it. And if you go into something because you're in it for the hype or the status, um, but you don't have the passion for it, then you're going to fail very, very quickly. Um, it's, it's uh, yeah, you, like, you really, really do need to be wanting to do this and it's it's not a it's not necessarily a glamorous path either yeah yeah, yeah. it's a lot of sacrifice okay. <laughs> and if we had to sum up your top three tips for uni students either budding entrepreneurs or have this great idea but don't know where to start what would you like top three tips pieces of advice to them yep so the first one would be um, definitely share your idea be open about it um, I feel like a lot of um, like new entrepreneurs, uh, particularly ones that are just starting off their first business, are very protective over the ideas, thinking that people would copy it, being embarrassed about it. But actually, it's so important that you are getting feedback from the market, from people who have done it before, about your idea. Um, because actually, when we started Checkbox, I had um, not the idea that I have today. I had some other idea that's related, but it was actually by talking to customers and um, mentors that it then molded from an idea into what is a business, mm. right? There's a very big difference between an idea and a business. Yeah. Um, so definitely don't be overprotective over your idea. The second thing uh, would be the support network. So like I've been banging on about in this, <laughs> in this podcast, it is really tough. Yeah. Um, but let me just say the, other, the flip side, because I don't want this to be seen as you know, uh, negative. It's, it's actually a lot of fun. Like it's a lot of work, 16 hours, but it's not like I'm hating 16 hours. I'm loving 16 hours. Yeah. Like I have friends who work nine to five and they feel sorry for me because they work in a law firm, you know, with, with half the hours that I do, but they actually hate their jobs and they're miserable. I love my job here. I feel bad for them, right? Because I get to spend 16 hours doing what yeah. I love. And you don't feel like it's 16. No, yeah. no, not at all. I, I love yeah. it. I love it. It's, it's great. And, um, but the second thing is it is a support network, right? Yeah. So. Um, you want to make sure that you have a very strong founding team because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, whilst you have your, your parents, your friends, your partner, um, it's hard for them to fully understand what you're going through. And you don't necessarily have the opportunity to explain to them the context of everything and the intricacies of the business. Mm -hmm. So the founders who are right next to you on the same level become super critical. Super critical is support network for you. Um, and of course, you need to have all those other things that I described, like family, friends, um, partners, to give that extra emotional support. But make sure you have the right level of, um, the, find the right partners, the business partners to work with for that reason. Um, the third one, the third one would be, be a sponge. Be a sponge. And the reason why I say that is you want to absorb, and again, have the mindset to absorb every single interaction, every experience that you have, and learn as quickly as you can. Like the number one um, contributor, I think, to success as a founder is how fast you can learn. Mm. Because at the end of the day, a business is so multifaceted from finance to legal to HR to product design to sales to marketing. 
and so much more that as a single human, there's no way you would have had those skills to begin with, yeah. or even as a founding team, no way. So you actually have to learn all of it on the job mm. um, really, really quickly. So that would be my last, my last yeah, tip. And we were talking be about sponge. this before actually, like how to know what your team's doing and if they're doing it right. Like if you know nothing yeah. about HR and then you're just like, do whatever you want, how do you know, you know, how do you manage that at, at all if you don't know anything? Exactly. That's true. Okay, Evan, thank you so much for that. We have set out some, we've sent out the opportunity to some of our listeners to ask you some questions and we've cool. got some responses. So everyone wants to know about Hero. Okay. <laughs> so let's start there. So Evan actually started a cheering business, I think straight after high school. Yeah, when I was 17. Yeah. So I, the questions that I got were just like, how did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's just the ultimate question. You know, straight after high school, you literally have like, a HSE diploma or a high school diploma and that's about it right so how did you create that legitimacy you know at 17 I feel like that's even less than uni because at mm. least in uni you're studying a degree you're learning things every day whereas in high school you've kind of just done year 12 yeah. so how did you how basically, yeah I think. Um, again I wish I had a very sophisticated <laughs> intelligent answer for this but I stumbled upon entrepreneurship yeah. so I never actually thought that I would be an entrepreneur yeah. um, and uh, there was no signs in my early life or in high school that I would be one, yeah. to be honest. Um, but I think what really drove me through is, at the end of the day, I think what takes, um, like tutoring. Tutoring is a very common job for, high, uh, yeah. for university students, right? And a lot of people do it straight out of high school because that's the skill set that you leave with. But how did I go from that to running a business? Yeah. How is it different from everyone else? Um, it comes down to mainly three things, which I think underpin all businesses. Um, how do you scale, basically? How do you scale your time as one single person? Um, and it's through three things. So it's through people, processes, and technology, mm. right? So I had a natural inclination. So I can say that confidently now, looking retrospectively. Obviously, I didn't know any of this back then. Yeah. But actually, I had this like natural inclination to, um, to build processes for some reason. Like even though I was tutoring, I just built a whole bunch of processes, tools, like frameworks, branding, uh, materials to actually uh, move in a direction that is actually a business. Like I don't know why I did it still. Like looking back, I don't know why I just did. Yeah. But that's the foundation that allowed it to turn from just a side, you know, part-time casual job as a tutor mm -hmm. into an actual business. And along the way, you start to hire people to help you scale that as well. Um, and so it's, it's really, um, I think what's encouraging for people who are watching is it's not necessarily something that you need to know already from the beginning. It's not something that you have to plan out from the be beginning. I made a whole bunch of failures and mistakes along the way, but I built this house brick by brick, literally brick by brick. Oh, today I will build an enrollment form, right? Uh, oh, today I should probably get an invoicing system in place because parents are confused about when the next payment's due. You know, it's actually step by step and it's through kind of, um, you know, uh, crises as well that I learn. Parents, you know, call, like customers you know, calling up and saying, you know, X, Y, Z. I'm like, oh my God, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, so now I need to put in this process in place. And so that's that's really how it's built, just by by brick by brick. It's um, Wow, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's the way one. There's another one. I'm going to read this out because okay. it's quite a long one. Okay. But it is, a barrier for young people thinking of starting a business can often be credibility because of our young age. And this can make it really difficult for people to take us seriously. Mm. So did you experience this and how did you overcome it? Oh yeah, I definitely did. Um, I experienced it in both businesses. Yeah. Um, 
when I was doing hero education, uh, I remember customers coming up and saying, and la literally scoffing and laughing. They said to me, you're the owner. And I'm like, yes. And they're like, how old are you? And I'm like, 18. And yeah. they're like, <laughs> and they walked off. Like, seriously, yeah. that happened. That literally <laughs> happened. Um, and uh, so I think it comes down to really, for, for hero anyway, yeah. one thing. For checkbox, I've got two, two other reasons. But for, for hero, it was actually just persistence. Like, so long as you do something for a long enough amount of time, people will understand that you're not what we call a entrepreneur, yeah. right? Um, and, you know, they will start to see, even if you were, say, 20, um, and you're still relatively young, uh, but you've done now a business for three years, I mean, that three years is quite a long time, right? Mm -hmm. So um, you build credibility by just persisting and just keep doing and you will naturally become an expert in the space, mm -hmm. right? It, it's actually, if you combine my uh, advice from before, which is be a sponge, and like being in it for long enough, it is actually impossible for you not to become an expert yeah. um, and, and kind of uh, build uh, respect um, naturally as opposed to through age or position or experience. It, 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 you build it, yeah, naturally. Um, for Checkbox, it was different because um, our customers were quite senior people in yeah. large corporates, like big global enterprise. And so when they see this really young face rock up in a meeting, um, you know, that, that was, that was uh, definitely interesting. Um, what, how I mitigated that was, well, a business partner. So my other business partner, we've got two in checkbox, James, who's the CTO, and Paul, who's the chairman. So Paul came along um, and joined the company. He's in his 50s. Yeah. So he brought a lot of credibility to say, well, this isn't just a kid who wants to do a business selling to big corporates. You know, I, I, you know I'm part of the business. I back this, this guy. And so, um, and then over time, you build your own brand. And so, you know, I'm becoming a lot more, uh, you know, I can hold up meetings and, yeah. and, and things like and that. And the trust myself. kind of develops in you, right? Right. Here. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. So it's persistence, really. Um, but depending on your business model, you may also need someone just a bit older just for that for that credibility yeah. aspect. Yeah. And I guess the next um, thing that our listeners ask is when we're looking to start businesses with friends um, in uni or from high school or whatever, what are some things to look out for? Mm. And how do you how do we know is there any way that we can kind of know that we're partnering with the right people so that we don't face like major i mean there are always going to be little issues but major sort of issues down the line yeah that's a really good question that's probably one of the hardest things about starting a business as well yeah. it's like finding the right partner and i faced the same challenge when i was doing checkbox i was actually looking for a partner for a long time mm. um, and made it very clear to the market that i was looking for a partner but um, couldn't find one so how did i do it well First of all, James, that I mentioned just now, the CTO, he's actually a good friend of mine. I've known him now for 13, 14 wow. years. Um, we were actually really good friends, part of the same circle um, in high school. So, um, so the question there is very, very relevant. Like, how do you start businesses with friends? Um, actually, I wasn't, my first thought wasn't necessarily, okay, James is gonna be my partner. My first yeah. thought was, let's go find you know, a, a business partner who had the skills. After not finding one for a while, I thought to myself, well, who is the smartest person that I know, um, who I get along well with, who I've done some work with before yeah. in this space, in like kind of entrepreneurial activities, and I know we'll be able to find the passion and build the passion um, no matter what the business is. And James is a perfect fit for that. I've, I've, you know, so I, I strongly encourage that if you're looking for a partner, whether they're a friend or not, that you've at least worked with them before because, like I said, um, you know, in a business, especially in a startup, it is extremely, extremely difficult, and there's 
constant up and down turns every single day. Yeah. And so you need to have a founder who is with you with the best, but also is going to be there with you solving the problems and staying strong in the absolute worst when you know the shit hits the fan, yeah. so to speak. <laughs> right. So um, I knew that you know he he was that type of guy. Also, it was very non-conventional because um, at the time, a lot of investors told me not to take James on as a, as a, as a partner because he didn't have the coding skills. He wasn't mm -hmm. coding since he was 12. Um, but I went against that advice again. I'm very non-textbook, as you can tell. Um, I, I went against that advice because I backed him as a person. Yeah. I knew that he was smart enough and passionate enough that if I gave him the time and the opportunity, he would learn it very quickly. And today, like he's, he's an incredible developer, but not only that, he manages a dev team, right? He manages a dev team that has experiences four, five fold his own experience. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I've made the right decision and it was because of the fundamental qualities. Again, not because they had a very sophisticated yeah. coding background. Right, I judged it based on people character. Right, because you don't want to be the one sitting here for 16 hours and then your partner's gone yeah, not, yeah you know yeah. solving the problem with you yeah totally get that mm. and i guess we've kind of answered this during our podcast but one of the the last question was just about were there any things that you found that you didn't know before and how do you come out learning them is it just practically like as you're working or did you find that you had to develop new skills really mm. formally after starting yeah i mean there, there is uh there are there are just so many skills that i would not have even been thinking about yeah. in university that I would need now. Um, and again, back to what I said before, the key advice is just have uh, the right mindset. And this mindset is um, a mindset of continuous improvement mm -hmm. and being open to um, learning. So it's a retrospective kind of mindset. In our company, we have five different values. One of them is actually be bold, suck less. <laughs> and so Everyone in our company has this suck less mentality, which is constantly, um, every single interaction that you have, uh, what do you suck at and how do you suck less at it? Yeah. So it's actually not, it's actually a, it's actually a very um, passive um, uh, process that you need to develop to think about, you know, um, how do I learn from every experience that I have? And mm -hmm. before you know it, you'll, you'll pick up a lot of the skills um, that you need. Because a lot of it is just on the job. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much, Evan. It's time for our wrap-up game. Okay. Um, <laughs> so we always play a fun game just to finish up, and today we're playing Would You Rather. Okay. Um, so we've got a few questions, and I'll pose them to you. Sure. So the first one is: Would you rather never use social media sites again, or never watch a movie or TV show ever again? Oh. Um, these are these are a lot more tame than the usual Would You Rather games that I play, <laughs> by the way. Um, so I would. I would say I would never do, oh, it's so hard. I would say, I would, oh, this is a hard one, but I would say movies and TV shows I wouldn't do yeah. because on social media today, there are so many like video snippets of yeah. them anyway that you can pretty much get the gist of it. You so can watch a whole show based on social because they put on the best <laughs> bits of a show yeah, and exactly. you watch the whole show. That's, yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, second one, would you rather be the funniest person in the room or the most intelligent person in the room? Definitely funniest. Funniest? Yeah. 100%, um, definitely, because I don't know, like from my experiences going through uh, life, I feel like, you know, um, having having a very uh, strong EQ and like just, like yeah. the personality trumps I intellect, um, which is which is, which is is interesting. But I'd rather be funny. And I'd rather be likable. Yeah. A little bit, like especially when you don't know a lot of people and if you can just be super confident and be really funny, yeah. you can get your message across. Whereas totally. if you're su super intelligent but keeping it inside, 
No one can know. And like, which one's more fun? Yeah. Like, I'd rather have fun in life, to be honest, um, than be correct all the time. So <laughs> I'd rather be dumb and funny. <laughs> okay. Be able to run really fast or fly? Oh, so if I flew, I wouldn't be able to run? No, like okay. really fast, I guess. Oh, really fast? Or just okay, in general? Let's do run. Let's just keep it run. Okay, so either I can run, run or so be a human, yeah. or basically fly, fly and not be able to wa like walk. Yeah. And I would, I would, but I'm still a human, like I'm not yeah, a bird. Okay, a I would say, um, I would definitely, <laughs> I would definitely say run yeah. for a functional reason because, um, I guess, I guess like the I'm such a functional person. All the infrastructure and stuff like that is developed for like walking and running. So being like flying would be pretty inconvenient. Like how would you? But then have you ever walked in like the city when you're really like running late and oh yeah, just like crowds. I whenever I go to uni at Central Station yeah. and I'm like need to take the bus to UNSW. I just can't get out. Like, it's coming in two minutes and just too many people. And I wish I could just, like. If you could fly, you wouldn't even take the bus. You just <laughs> fly true. straight. You just fly straight that's to uni. That's true. Yeah, 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 that's true. That's a good point. I don't know. But then, but then it'll be. Oh, I don't know. But then you'd just be known as the flying person. Yeah. I don't know. Is that a good thing? I don't know. I don't know. I, don't know. Oh. I, I, oh. I think flying would be pretty cool. But then I think. Oh, I don't know. I'll, I'll probably still go with running. Running. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Teleport anywhere or read minds? Oh, definitely teleport. teleport. Because I have the same bugbear as you about <laughs> like getting to places yeah. and just like I find traveling and transport the most inefficient use of my time. Yeah. I just would love to teleport. Especially when you can't sit and so you can't do anything, <laughs> yeah. read anything, you're just like standing there for like 25 minutes. Exactly. Minutes. Yeah. And I think reading minds would be sometimes, like, I think it would be cool at first, but then it'll get pretty annoying. Yeah. Like <laughs> just knowing what people <laughs> are thinking all the time. But um, yeah, no, definitely, definitely teleport. That's an easy one. Okay. Yeah. And the last one, which has been a really contentious one on our social media okay. sites, which is get stuck in traffic or always have slow internet connection. So always get stuck in traffic or always have really slow internet mm, connection. Okay. Uh, I would go for, or, oh, I, I hate both so much. <laughs> um, I would go for get always get stuck in traffic. A lot of people went for that. Most yeah. people went for that, yeah. actually. Yeah, I would do yeah. that one because at least that one you have some control over because you can actually factor that into your travel and just leave an hour earlier. Yeah. Whereas slow internet is just like, you've got slow internet all the time. It always it's like conks off at the right time as well. Yeah. And like when you're, I, I used this example last podcast, but when you're trying to get, an, I've been so many times where I'm trying to get an Uber yeah. and my phone's on 10% and I really need to go and it will just go really slow. Oh no. <laughs> the most I've, annoying thing. I've had that before where literally 1% call <laughs> the Uber. I'm trying to memorize the number plate <laughs> yeah. before my batteries die. Oh my God, that was the worst. Yeah. Thank you so much, Evan. That wraps up our cool. podcast episode. Thank you so much for being on. And we will catch you guys in the next episode. Bye. See ya.